evening, folks. We are um, gathered here today for another episode of Coffee with Friends. Just a quick reminder, this live stream may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse. Viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering. The guests on our live streams reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not reflect the morals, values, and ethics of the misfit Amish. If this live stream causes you distress, please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals as needed. Also, if this live stream causes you distress, please stop listening until you're able to listen again. With that being said, welcome to Coffee with a Misfit. So tonight we have Deirdre here. Deirdre was born and raised in the Mennonite community. She's been a guest here. Hi, Billy. Um, on this show before, previously. And Deirdre is going to be talking to me about my book. So would you like to introduce yourself and say hello? Yes, I am Deirdre, um, and I do want to say something that Mary left out. Everybody needs to wish Mary a happy birthday. Today is her birthday. You didn't think you're going to get away with that, did you? Oh, I bought myself flowers. I don't, you know, like, see, like, I bought myself flowers. <laughs> I've done that a few times for my birthday. Yes. So, um, has I I don't know if everybody's gotten the book that's watching, um, but I guess I I got some questions for you if that's one okay. One second, one second, quick announcement. I forgot to say this. So one of the beautiful things that happened is we have a shipment of books here, and everybody that comments is going to get put into a drawing, and at the end of this we will draw to see who gets a free autographed copy of my book. There, done. Do you want to show the beautiful book? Do I got to <laughs> open it? Like you this? do. We got to see. We got to see how beautiful it is. The cover, you guys, if you have not seen the cover of her book, it is freaking fantastic. Like, it's my favorite see? ever. Look, it's just me oh. being that person. <laughs> it's the best. So, there you have it. That's that's it. Now we know what the book's, book looks like. Now you can continue with the book question stuff. Yeah, so I guess one of the big things is um, I want to, why, I guess, number one question I have is what made you decide to write the book? What was your, what is your objective and goals in doing this book? Um, one, I wanted to tell my story the way that I wanted it told. I wanted it to tell all of what I was willing to share with the world instead of it being used for somebody else's benefit. That's why I wrote my book. I wrote my book for me. And if people benefit from it, great. If they don't, okay. <laughs> I honestly think so many um, people are going to benefit from it, um, especially women that are coming from not only just the Amish community, but from the Anabaptist communities, where we often don't get our stories told and we don't have a voice. I think it's, I think it's going to be really empowering, uh, powerful, empowering, and and impactful. I switched, I mix the words together, but I think it's going to be just amazing, um, and I think it's going to make a lot of people feel inspired. So. 
I guess the other question is, is why now? Why, why now did you decide to write, write the book? Well, well, well. That's Please spell the tea. <laughs> really big question. Why now? Again, um, partially because I'm tired of people using my story for their own benefit and benefiting from it, but not actually telling my story. They tell my story in the way that they want to. They want to benefit from it. So why now? I got fed up. I literally got fed up and wrote my book in two weeks. That's that's what happened, Deirdre. And then um, what has been some of the positive feedback that you've heard that you weren't expecting to hear? Have you have, um, I guess you can dabble into that. I would be really just if other people have reached out to you, have shared stories, um, if it's, it's made them start coming out, have you noticed any of that stuff? Well, one of the big things has been is when I'm hearing from people still within Amish communities who are telling me that even though we were never the same kind of Amish, and even though we never lived in the same community, we never knew each other when we were both in the church. Some of those things that I write about in the schools are still happening today. And, and that to me is is something really big because it's saying that somebody felt heard and the fact that they could reach out to me as somebody who is shunned, that's, that's kind of a big deal. It also shows that Amish do have the capacity for critical thinking and abstract thinking. And they also, you know, have the ability to self-reflect. I, I just want to throw that out there. That we're not simple minded. Yeah. That part. <laughs> that part. And I've also had people who reached out, like, after they escaped from an abusive environment. I've had people from a variety of groups, such as, like, Catholic, um, Methodist, Baptist, like, all kinds of people have reached out and shared, like, some of what they've experienced. And, and I just feel like it's really important for people to be able to feel seen and heard. And I hope that people feel seen at a minimum. People that have experienced abuse feel seen at a minimum when they read this book. And um, do you wanna kind of give us like maybe a synopsis of um, kind of what this book uh, touches on um, without going in, I guess, into too much details because you guys need to read it for yourself. And she wrote a book for a reason. So <laughs> why are you be telling people what to do like that? That's just rude. <laughs> <laughs> read her book, but if she can kind of go over some of if you if you feel comfortable well, going over some of the things that are addressed um, in the book, or maybe if you want to highlight something that you feel like maybe will give people a preview. Well, I do want to highlight this is like, number one, I write about my experiences. This is all about my Amish life. This goes up until I reported the abuse. There's newspaper clippings in there, but I write about it from the context of like, there were things that kept me alive throughout that time period. And I write about those things. I write about my grandmother, my mommy. That woman was not the typical Amish woman. 
and I write about other people who who showed me kindness and I write about other things that I experience like because the thing is is that what people often forget is that abusers don't abuse all the time it goes in cycles and I think if you read the book and you comprehend what's written, you probably might get that idea that it goes in cycles. What do you think? You've read it. Yes, I, I definitely would say, and I think, I think that's the um, the roller coaster of your book. Um, I have a hard time going into talking about it without giving it up, but um, it's definitely was one of the most, I think just coming because you came from community and I just know like what it takes as a woman to come out of that and to speak up against it um, unfiltered is completely amazing. Um, and also some of the things that are touched in there are some of the hardest things that I've ever had to read. Um, but at the same time, you get you get that and then you get some of the good memories and you get a little bit of a roller coaster and a little bit of a break on that. And then I think um, the other thing that I found really important was um, the the description that you had. It almost felt like in some of some of the scenarios, it almost felt like I could visualize myself being in that community when you're talking and describing about the different communities and stuff. And I think that's really important for placement um, and for kind of understanding where you're coming from, um, if that makes sense. I've, I have also heard that people have felt like completely immersed in the book. Yes. And I think that's the other thing. And I think that's the, the wonderful way that you kind of write it because there isn't, you're just like, here is, here's what happened. Here is my story. There isn't like a whole bunch of like unnecessary filler. There is definitely like, this is what happened. These are the details um, that I care to share. Um, this is what I'm saying. And it definitely, I don't know. Yeah, it definitely is a different perspective. I really, I'm hoping that this is just a start for you, to be honest, because I really do, I think for a first book and the fact that you did it in two weeks and your writing style is absolutely amazing. I love, I love how you write. You, you write how I think, um, unfiltered and bluntly. Um, I think, I think that it's, it's wonderful. And I'm just really, I really hope this is just, um, the start of many books. Um, well, I, I kind of had the idea that someday I would write about like the court case afterwards and some of those things that I experienced and where I drew my support from and the people that helped me along the way and then like write about like all of the places that I lived because I have lived in a few different places as you have learned. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice to get some more information on that. And I think um, the other thing is I'm just, I mean, this is just so amazing. Um, I also wanted you to kind of touch about um, why it's so important for people that come from the Anabaptist communities, from the Amish communities, and and similar to speak up and share their stories, do you want to kind of address that? Why it's so important, and then kind of maybe some of the um, the the hardships that's come along with that. Well, 
one, um, I hear repetitively from Mennonites that when they share their Mennonite stories and, and they were plain Mennonites, um, people address them as Amish. So the world doesn't understand when somebody tells you I was Mennonite, I was Mennonite. We were not Amish. We were not the same thing. So there's that. But it's also partially because the world has decided that they're going to just represent Mennonite stories as Amish stories, and they have done this for a long time. Furthermore, when you start looking at researchers and how they write about plain people, they lump us all together broadly, which fine, whatever. But in the same token, the way they write about us is as if we were, we are simple-minded people. We live this like whatever, this plain lifestyle, and we are these simple-minded people. When in actuality, part of it is, is they don't understand the culture, and they don't understand the language, and that is part of why they think that we're we're these simple-minded people, and we're, um, you know, not in the practice of employing critical and abstract thinking, or even self-reflection. That is why they write about us like that, because in some ways, the people writing these kinds of things think they know more about us than we do, and they have dumbed us down and made us out to be ignorant and stupid. We're not ignorant and stupid. We just have access to limited information. Furthermore, when you start understanding, too, that for Amish women to speak or Amish AFAB people to speak, we need to be able to speak. And we are capable of speaking. And you have those very same researchers who say that Amish women can't speak unless men are present. That is a problem. And I'm also here to defy that odd. I, I just want to prove that, like, you know, we we can speak. And I'm inspired by my grandmother to do that, which you'll read about her in the first chapter. And lastly, the other thing is, is that when you get men, for example, who start um, writing about Amish women's lives, they do not have the same experience and they do not see it through the same lens as what Amish women see it. Let me repeat that. Because the experience of being somebody inside of a, a community where you are considered the weaker vessel, where you are considered and expected to comply with whatever the man in charge of you does, that belief in and of itself lends it to Amish women and girls having a vastly different experience than Amish men. And what Amish men need to do is literally what I've been experiencing with somebody and um, my TikTok lives, because sometimes I go live on TikTok, is sometimes there is an Amish man who goes live on TikTok and when he sees me, like, sometimes he'll be like, hey, like, go check out Misfits page. She's got a story. She tells the truth. Like, elevate the voices of Amish women. Elevate our voices. Elevate the voices of Mennonite women. And the same with Hutterite women. Like, I don't care what kind of, like, elevate their voices. If you're talking about wanting to help a marginalized person, don't take their stories and own them. Don't use their stories for your own financial gain and benefit. 
Don't use them to earn money off of them. While they go sometimes hungry and homeless, you are making money off of them. What kind of person are you? So I'm telling you, turn around and elevate their voices. Amplify their voices so that they have a voice, so they feel seen, so they feel heard, so that Mennonite stories exist. Thank you. And I really appreciate that. You've always been a really big advocate for also the Mennonite community um, as well, having our own voice because you know how it can be frustrating. Um, I do want to say for everybody that's listening that maybe is not an like um, part of, um, you know, X. Um, Amish or ex-Mennonite, um, what are some ways that they can support you um, or support women um, coming from these communities um, to help kind of validate or do their voices? Do you want to talk about some of the things that they can do? Well, they can amplify their voices. They can sit there and they can give them access to information. They can ask them, how can I help you? Literally. And if the person doesn't know how they can, how you can help them, you can literally say, okay, that's okay. If you think of something, you let me know. Because you know what? You never know when that person might remember that. You never know what keeps somebody alive some days. And sometimes it can be as simple as somebody saying, if you think of something, let me know. And I will try my best to help you. Yes, I love that. And uh, it looks like Marlene has a question. Can you discuss the process of sitting down and writing about things that are difficult? Well, I don't know about other people's processes, but mine is very autistic. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was gonna, I didn't want to like reveal your autism, but now that you bring it up, that was something that I really appreciate. Um, and if any of you guys know or have autism or know people with autism, um, just imagine them writing a book. It's just, it's just wonderful. Like I, I can't, it's, it's, uh, I know it can be difficult with autism, but you really, you really have a gift when you wrote that book. That definitely was just, you're like, okay, here's my story. This is what happened. Here's this. And now deal with it. And I, I, I freaking love it. I love your writing style. I just, I really do. So the process of sitting down and writing about things that are difficult, let me, let me tell you about that. So number one, I literally said, I'm going to do this for me and I'm going to do it. It's time. And I felt that within me, I, I felt that it was time. I have been sitting here and I have been talking about things. I've been trying to like find like ways to bridge the cultural gap for years many years I've been trying to figure that out. How do we do that appropriately and adequately? How do we do that without telling survivors that they should leave their communities? Because telling Amish people to leave their communities isn't right. If they want to be Amish, let them be Amish. Let them be Amish, period. And that's the other thing too, and I think that's really important, is just like imagine telling someone that is that has lived their whole life a certain way and coming at them and telling them that they should leave and that they're in a bad situation that's they're they're not going it's not going to be helpful 
Um, that's not the way that you do it. Anybody that's ever dealt with like religious indoctrination and all of that stuff, you know that that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really good thing is letting them know like, hey, like if you need if you need access to the outside world, to the English world, if you need help, if you need resources, I'm here and be gentle and affirming about it. I think that's a really wonderful way to do it. Validate them as a human being. Yes. And I kind of felt like maybe the world is ready to hear what I'm what I'm about to write. But anyways, so once I decided to write my book, y'all, this is what I did. <laughs> I worked. I went to I, I would get up in the morning and I'd write before I went to work. And then I would come home from work and I would write in between like picking up my kid, doing the household things, eating food. I would write. I wrote like every second that I could. I would write on my lunch breaks. I would write on my breaks. Like I wrote every single day. On the weekends, sometimes I would write for six to 12 hours. Because I felt like now that I'm going to do it, I'm just going to get it over with. <laughs> what did it feel like? And the whole time, and the whole time, like, I cried when I wrote. I, I like, sang when I wrote sometimes. I cried when I wrote. Aww. But the whole book, like, when I wrote this whole book, like, I literally listened to the same song on repeat. So what was it like when you finally finished it? Did you feel like you purged? <sighs> Did you feel a purge or? <laughs> it was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Now we just got to edit it. That's the hard part. That was a little stressful, I know. <laughs> no, the editing was the worst part about writing a book, I promise you. And writing about things that are difficult. I would say, like, really truthfully, like, for me, I've been writing. I've been writing since I was an Amish kid. I have written my whole life. I have written all kinds of things. But I've also burned a lot of what I wrote because it was so traumatic to reread it. And so I already had like 30,000 words that I had written previously, but I rewrote my entire story. <laughs> So do you feel, what was it like, like after purging everything down and having to go back and like edit it, what was that like? Did it, did it make it, was there things that you wrote or feelings that were, that came about that you didn't realize that you had until you started editing? Um, I think it was more like when the editors, when they gave me feedback, um, that was what brought up feelings that. It was like, oh, it just was. Because for me, it wasn't, I, I, I would say I felt relief because I was finally done. Like I knew it was going to suck. I knew it was going to be hard. And I knew that in order to be able to write this, I would have to sit with big emotions. I would have to sit with emotions that, you know, could literally cause me to have an uptick in nightmares and night terrors. And I knew I was going to have to work through those. I knew that going into it. But I think the difference is also like way back when, when I first wrote, 
like I didn't have the tools and the coping skills and the ability to sit with the emotions and go through them. And rather it was more or less like trying to deny those emotions. And so they kept coming back around exactly the same because there was something about it that I still needed to process and dissect. So I would say writing it this time was a lot easier than the original time that I wrote it, that I wrote it because I have already processed the majority of these things have been processed in therapy and dissected in therapy um, because sometimes we have to dismantle the beliefs that we grew up with that don't necessarily serve us. Like, you know, climbing on a ladder in front of your brothers makes it your fault. You were um, essayed as a child. That's just so terrible. I mean, I, I have a hard time. I don't want to give away your book and go into a lot of things. I'm trying to think of the right questions to ask you. Um, so I got, I caught, are you, per, are you ready and prepared for, for an emotional question? I guess. I just have one. I just have one. Um, but I guess my biggest question is you today, you're the woman after being on here, like in this moment, after everything that you've been through, everything that you've done with the book and all the work that you do helping with the Anabaptist community. And it's so much, it's so great what you're doing. What would you tell that little girl? I told you it was emotional. Well, it's not your fault. You'll make it out of there. And someday you'll be safe. That's that's so powerful. And and what would you what would you want to say to other Amish women and little girls that are going through similar things? What would be something that you could say that would be comforting or or give them some some piece of something? You are worthy of love and acceptance just the way you are. You deserve to have a whole, healthy, and happy life. And you, it was wrong what they did to you. You didn't deserve that. Nobody deserves that. Nobody. That's such a... I'm getting, I know I'm the one that asked the question, but now I'm getting really emotional about it too. Why are you asking me these questions? That's just rude. Making me be emotional and stuff. Oh, what would this be without emotion? Oh, I mean, there you go. Trying to make me cry up on here. <laughs> Crying on your birthday. Yeah. Um, so we'll, I'll try to do a, do you want to, you know, one of my favorite things reading in the book and just like hearing you talk more elaborately is the re the relationship and the person that your grandmother was. Um, do you want to share a story about her? Cause I love it. Well, I mean, like one of the things that I used to do, uh, is I used to watch my grandmother string beads for babies because like Amish babies would have like beads in church. And so she would string these fancy beads and they were pretty and they were wonderful and I always loved watching her but I wasn't quite like capable of making them myself she would give me a needle and a string sometimes but yeah that's one of my favorite memories
That's wonderful. And what do you think, what did your grandmother give you that kind of helped you, do you think? The inspiration that I'm allowed to speak. Even to men. That's wonderful. I'm, and uh, so do you want, we'll try to get out of the deep emotion. Do you want to share um, maybe something funny? Um, a funny story? <laughs> We're going to be on a roller coaster here, guys. <laughs> um, well, I'm, can I just read something from the book? Yes, I was going to ask you to read from the book. Actually, that was going to be my next thing. So you beat me. Oh, well. I mean, like something funny, though. I just got to tell you about the secret deodorant that I wrote oh, about. And oh, the body spray, y'all. The oh, body I don't spray. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> what? What's wrong with the body spray and the secret deodorant? It was Must powdery nice. fresh. It was, it was powdery fresh. <laughs> what? Must be nice. Well, I have this whole, like, idea of, like, you know, it's it's really important to tell the truth about that. Is people think that because oh we don't shower but once a week oh wait we didn't even shower we have bathtubs, and because we heat up our water in the in the wooden kettle, you know, that like we have to be smelly. But it's like, or we're not allowed to have deodorant. But it's like we were allowed to have deodorant, like. I don't know what kind of people y'all were, but we, the old order Amish, we were allowed to have deodorant. Well, the Brethren Mennonites, we had unscented Rolling Tom's deodorant, which was approved by the church and the bishop. Um, and I'm I'm forever jealous of Mary's powder freshness. Of uh, my powder freshness, well. I just got to say that powder freshness was very nice to have because we didn't have to, um, we didn't have to smell like y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go there. I think you just had to. I had to go there. I had to do it. So. Well I just wanted to add really quick. Um, now I, it's safe to say that I have an obsession with body spray and lotions and deodorants that are scented. So I'm making up for, for that Tom's deodorant. <laughs> You're making up for it, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just want to say like the part that I would really like to read from my book is, is kind of probably going to be the part, like, where do we go? About the survivors and victims. So, like, victims are people who have been, and this is a legal term, they're people who have had a crime term. This is often used as a legal term in the, in the justice system. A survivor is someone who experienced a crime and has begun the healing process. It may empower the person to continue healing or even begin healing by saying survivor instead of victim. We have survived unbearable trauma 
that causes us to have effects of night terrors, triggers, flashbacks, insomnia, memory problems, medical problems, but we are nothing less than perfectly imperfect. Despite all that, many of us lead happy lives and feel productive in our lives. We contribute to doing things we find meaningful and healthy for us. I mean, for example, look at the brochures a group of survivors meet in collaboration with psychologists, detectives, and an editor. Or some survivors create organizations for meaningful change. Some survivors write, record, and video record their stories for meaningful change. Some survivors network with people to change laws. Think about Aaron's Law. If you don't know what that is, I would invite you to go look it up. Some survivors build professional relationships with ethical values and collaborating within those values. Some survivors navigate life to the best of their ability as they are unable to speak, write, record, or even discuss what happened to them. That is okay. We are not all the same. You can't lump us all into one, one boat. We all have different coping skills that we employ. Survivors are amazing. We have faced so much fear in life. We know how to live life facing fear and to still, despite it all, take definitive action. Education is prevention and prevention is key. Nothing is better than those who walk through hell, getting out, carrying buckets of water to douse the fires for those who come behind them. That's beautiful. I love it. And I think that I love that distinction. Um, that was like one thing that I learned, like when I was coming out of the community and I got some help and um, I haven't nearly gotten enough help that I need to get. And I'm working on that. But uh, one of the things that I learned was the survivor and the victim and the definitions with that. And I found that the, that survivor is so just the way that it's defined and um it's it just brings so much hope um i can't explain it but it really resonated with me that i didn't have to be the victim that i could be the survivor that i could take something hard and i could make something beautiful out of it and it was my choice and it was my control and that's a wonderful thing i love that you made that distinction you mean you could and you're allowed to take back your life and own your life despite all of that some of us are warriors, some of us are fighters, and some of us need to have space to recover, even the warriors and fighters. But would you say that you were, you feel like you're able to take back your life? So I don't, Mary, I can't hear you. Can everybody else hear you? You can't hear me? Hello? Hello? Hello. <laughs> yeah, I can't hear you. I'm going to I'm going to leave and then come right back. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. Oh, OK. Well, I don't know. Can everybody hear me? Anybody? OK, well, Marlene can hear. Sasha can hear. OK, well, anyways, I'll answer this question, which is, would you ever consider running a workshop to encourage or mentor others to write their stories. You know, I don't I don't know if I would ever want to do that. I mean, just because like 
I, I mean, I write, but I don't know how to, like, I, I just don't know if I have the energy to run a workshop and I don't know if I have the time to like be present enough to put it all together and have a curriculum that actually is in fact, um, helping people write their stories. Like, I just, I don't know. That's something to think about. It's never really been on my radar. I'm more intrigued and right now I'm encompassed and I'm working with Tara Mitchell. Um, Tara and I are working on um, writing a research article to be published about our research. So now that we've concluded the data analysis, that's what we're working on. Welcome back. Can you hear me now? I can. I don't know what happened. I was, I think it's because I put my, because um, I'm just like very proud of you. So I put my screen recorder on so I can record this so that I could um, make a video of your powerful words and then it stopped. So I guess I got busted in the act. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, you're, you don't even know. I'm your biggest fan, Mary. You're just amazing. And, um, yeah, and I'm very annoying <laughs> with it. Um, <laughs> I think I might go crawl in the hole now. <laughs> also, like I think that sometimes when people think about writing their stories, like I, I wanna, I wanna highlight this, is that when people think about writing their stories, sometimes they might have well-intentioned people telling them who they should write into their story or who they should write out of their story. And I, I think just from a writing perspective, that number one, it's not your story. You don't get to tell people who they can and can't write into their story. Full stop. Allow people the space and the time to figure out who they want to write about in their story. And if you're going to name people, you should probably ask them for, for consent. Um, unless they're like, in my case, the ones that I left the names were the people who were arrested. So there's that. Just so y'all know. True crime. <laughs> um, do you know, like, what is that, like, legally, what is that required as far as, like, when you're sharing the stories, like, are you allowed to change the names or do you have to get consent because, you know, the story could, could, um, you know, define someone um, or if someone's deceased, do you have to get permission from family members? I think that's a really good thing to address. Well, I know that I went with like the legal advice that I was given. I think that it can vary for different people and you should probably seek legal advice if you want to know, like from a lawyer. If you want to know the correct answer to that question. Hashtag yeah, I'm a lawyer. You know I'm not a lawyer. I can't tell you that. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Deirdre trying to get you in sticky situations. Why are you trying to put me on the spot like that? <laughs> it's your birthday. We have to do this. This is your celebration of life. <laughs> celebration of life. Okay. Well, I mean, 
we don't know for sure that it's my birthday, Deirdre. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I had to say it. I'm just trying to figure out, like, do I say this or not? How do I say this? Y'all, y'all. I don't know for sure what day I was born. Okay, like just just know that I celebrate March twentieth. <laughs> That's good. I like March twentieth. <laughs> um, so I like Deb's question. Um, did you keep a journal when you were going through some of your past life experiences? Yes, actually, I did. Uh, the thing is, is keeping a journal can be very unsafe, and it can land you in more hot water. And I don't really know. I think it is, excuse me, I think it is an excellent question because I think on one hand, like when I was talking about writing, I was writing in notebooks, I was writing in tablets, I wrote a lot, but that always, while it helped me process some of what I was trying to survive, it also put it out there for other people to access potentially. So sometimes people might not be safe to write in a journal. And I'm going to put you on the spot again because it's your birthday. So I'm going to embarrass you, but I have to do it because I think you're wonderful. So everybody that is listening right now um, that has, that knows Mary or has, you know, heard her story or just from this stream right now, if you could um, in the comments say what thing that Mary has helped you with by sharing her story or what is your favorite thing or most inspirational thing about Mary. Let's make her feel super uncomfortable with love. That's rude. Yes. And then I'm going to read them. Because <laughs> it's your birthday. <laughs> Deirdre, that is really, really rude. <laughs> so you guys, just so you know, make it really good. Because I'm sure um, when we're done with this, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> you are going to get in trouble. <laughs> So make it worth my troubles. <laughs> okay, I, I think, think they got. I think I will leave here, leave this whole area while you read all of those comments. No, no. So I already got some coming in. So Marlene Brubaker, she has balls of steel. <laughs> I, uh, Brubaker, is that how you say it? Baker. Okay, and then we got Sasha Sheridan, understanding, education, and empower empowerment to do better. I like that one. I like the balls of stills a lot, too. <laughs> if I had, I think that's the best description for you, is if I had to describe you, um, you have balls of still, and you don't give it F <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Well, I mean, it is true. I don't really give a F about a lot of things that some people feel like I should give a F about. There is that. <laughs> All right. We got another one. Are you ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Deb Historian, I love that she inspires others to have the courage to not only come forward, but also live as their authentic selves. Happy birthday, Mary. You are admired and appreciated. Oh, I love that one. That's really sweet. But I mean... <laughs> I'm pretty sure I don't inspire people very much. Like, let me just go into no, where I get called so out wrong. for being hypocritical. You are so wrong, and you know it. You, as soon as you started, I saw the look on your face because you know, you know that's not true. <laughs> uh, I don't like to think about this part of my life. So Rebecca Martin, showing that we can can survive and showing the way to get to the other side. And you know I love you and everything. I love you too. Aw. But really, <laughs> y'all would have figured it out without me too. I, I just, no. I believe in y'all. Y'all y'all are some strong ass people. I'm just saying I believe in y'all. We we us women come together. We're all of us. We're just a we're we're uh, a force to be reckoned with, and and Mary, sorry, but you're the ringleader. <laughs> I am never a leader. Don't you know, <laughs> let me tell you something. <laughs> so, one of the things that I've heard over and over and over as a child from my stepfather was very much that I was never going to amount to anything. Although uh, being a ringleader, I mean, he was he was terribly wrong, horribly wrong. So I am giving him the middle finger right now. <laughs> you're you're really on the roll. I am. Also, y'all, I have a whole pile of papers here with your names on it for whomever wants this autograph book. So. Anybody else that hasn't commented, go ahead and comment um, right now in the chat. You can do like a heart or a happy birthday, Mary, um, to get yourself into that drawing. <laughs> you can make a sad face. It's okay. You can cry. It's, it's okay. We can cry today. I love how uncomfortable I'm making you feel. This is just like the highlight of my night. <laughs> I'm pouring love on you and it makes you feel so weird. <laughs> really? <laughs> rude. rude 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 so i got one more comment from marlene brubaker okay and now i'll be serious she gives voices to the voiceless i appreciate that you interviewed my uncle there are very few spaces to share a misfit and a baptist stories oh my god your uncle is like oh my god like he yeah I'm just grateful that you sent him our way so he could share what he experienced because that was really really empowerful and it was empowering to hear from him like he that was really really powerful anyways and you're right there's very few spaces to share our misfit Anabaptist stories. Marlene, how long you been following my page? 
Well, that's going to take a minute. <laughs> that's going to take a minute. But I, I feel like I'm ready to, like, draw. Like, look at this. Are you going to do the autograph um, on live stream? Yep. Uh, yes. Okay. See? Look at this. I got, like, all of these papers. Who's going to win this book? So her response was quite for quite some time. So <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, I know she's been following my page for years. Okay. So we got one. We got one. We got one. Who's it going to be? Ha! <laughs> Y'all, I don't know if you can read it, but it's Marlene. Oh, no. Marlene is the winner. Yay, Marlene. Can we see the book one more time? Like, do a close-up of the cover, because it's, like, my favorite. It's my favorite thing. Like, if I could frame it. Oh, my God, you guys. I'll freaking love it. <laughs> so That's here. great. Woohoo! Marlene is the winner. And I got my wonderful pen. And I'm about to, like, actually autograph it. And the thing is, is I can say so many things about Marlene. Marlene has been following my page for a very long time, for years, y'all. And she has provided so much solidarity and support and conversations that needed to be had in a public space. Like, it's, it's incredible to be able to have these conversations. Like, seriously, y'all, I was thinking the other day about what it was like in 2004 versus what it's like now. And all I got to say is, y'all, I can't describe to you the vast difference in what it's like. I, I just can't. Wait, weren't you still Mennonite in 2004? Yeah, yeah, I definitely was. I've been out, um, it's been uh, just about seven years. So you, you were, um, you took the first footstep for me. The first step. Yes, yeah. I've only, yeah, I've only been out for about seven years. Yeah. So Marlene, if you could shoot me an email with your address and where I can mail this book to you. I'd appreciate it. Um, but yeah, so you've been out for seven years. Yeah, yeah. It's been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, I can't believe. Yes. I what? hope I'm where you are um, <laughs> when I've reached that mark because uh, I can't even like, I mean, the journey that I, that I, I didn't think that I would ever be here. That's for sure. Like I have, I have my own place that I pay rent for myself. What? <laughs> I have a bank account. I have a bank account. I have a bank account. You don't know like what a milestone that was for me to get my first paycheck and to deposit it in to the bank account with my, my, uh, state ID. <laughs> like, I can't even tell you, you guys, like that was, wow. <laughs> I'm going to say this. I'm pretty sure I know the bank account thing. It took me a while to get a bank account, but like 
dude, like for real. Once I got a bank account and I got an apartment and I learned how to drive and I felt like I was free. Like I, oh my God, like I get to do things in life. Do you remember the first car that you got? Because I remember I bought, I went to, um, I think it was Fred Myers. I got it. I saved up for it. I got my license. I got the car. And it was like this, um, it wasn't like, it was like, what was it? A 98 like Grand Prix or something like that. Um, an older car. And I went to Fred Myers and I got the armor oil and I got all the cleaner and the wipes and the air freshener and I just sat there in my car and I cleaned it put the air freshener on and just sat there and could not believe that I owned a vehicle like that was the hugest thing for me you know I got a 1991 Pontiac Grand Prix it was black with red stripes and the gas gauge didn't work I love it I love it <laughs> I will never forget the first car that I bought because a gas gauge didn't work and I ran it out of gas twice. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Somewhere I should have a picture of that car somewhere, but it was something else. But anyways, so I was ridiculous. I got in like right after I got my license. I think it was like probably a month after I got into like a, a fender bender. It wasn't anything like major, but you know, like how I am, um, with my autism. Um, I, it took me a year after that I came up with the ritual. So for some reason, every time I drove, I had to drive in flip-flops. I had my driving flip-flops. Um, and I like, it was, I had to have the music on at a certain level and I would get like anxiety. I'd stop at a stop sign and I'd have to look like 10 times before I crossed. It was very annoying. I did that for about a year. <laughs> autism. <laughs> and autism strikes again. <laughs> that's, that's how pretty much it. That's about it. But yeah, I'm going to send you my email. It's themisfitamish at gmail.com. And for anybody that hasn't um, purchased a book yet, do you want to let them know how they can do that? Well, right now my book is still free on Amazon Kindle. So you can go head on over to Amazon if you want and you can purchase it there either in paperback or like I don't even remember what the price is right now, but other than that, it's still free on Amazon Kindle um, for today. I don't know when that'll happen again, but for right now, it's free until midnight. So head on over there, get yourself your free copy. Enjoy. Hope you all have a great night. Thanks for celebrating my birthday with me. Thank you, Deirdre. I appreciate you. Um, I'd like to say to everybody who is listening, um, I appreciate you being present. I'd like to thank our um, listeners for their support. And a lot of you have been sitting here and walking through a lot of things, but you've found ways to make your life still be meaningful. And I'm inspired by that every day. I'm inspired by many of you as I see you doing things with your life that you find meaningful. And it means a lot to me because I'm not alone. You're not alone. I love and that. I appreciate you.
Well, we appreciate you, Mary. Happy birthday. No. <laughs> no, One we're more not time. Singing. We're not singing happy birthday right now. No, nobody wants that. Nobody wants me to sing, so we're good. <laughs> we're not we're not singing happy birthday right now. <laughs> okay, deal. Okay, but remember, I bought myself flowers. Remember that? Remember Those that are so party? pretty. Are are they you got one red rose in it? Oh, they have multiple red roses, but it's red and orange roses. Ooh, those are very pretty. Yes. Um, and yellow, yellow, red and orange and yellow. It's like perfect. I love those colors. I love so, it. With that being said, um, I'm going to be back on Sunday morning for our monthly Sacred Subjects book club, please shoot me an email, send me a message if you would like to join in on the book club discussion. We are discussing the second booklet in the Sacred Subjects books, and I can't wait to see all of you there. And I'd also like to thank our Patreon subscribers and the Misfit Amish for bringing us this event and for their continued support. And I'd like to thank you listeners for your continued support I hope you all have a beautiful night and I'll see you all soon.